Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Civics 101 is supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Who is the current Speaker of the House? Uh, don't even know. Will they um, rule in the President's favor or will they send it to the Supreme Court? You can't refer to a senator directly by their name. Congressional redistricting. Separation of power. Executive order. The National Security Council. Civics. Civics. Civics 101. This is Civics 101, the podcast refresher course on the basics of how our democracy works. I'm Virginia Prescott. Our team here has been working on a transition for the past few weeks as our sitting host, namely me, prepares to hand the reins over to our newly elected Civics 101 guides, Nick Capodice and Hannah McCarthy. So for this, my last Civics 101, before I take up my new office at Georgia Public Broadcasting, we're going to find out how the mother of all handoffs takes place, the presidential transition of power. And joining me is Max Steyer. He's president and CEO of Partnership for Public Service. Max, welcome to Civics 101. Thank you very much. Okay, so say it's Election Day in the United States. A new president gets elected, but the old one is still in office. So what's the first thing the incumbent, meaning sitting president's team, does when the new president is elected? Well, you better hope that they've been doing a bunch of things before Election Day, because if you wait until Election Day to get ready for the transition, you've already missed the bus. There are about 70-plus days between the election and the inauguration, and it's not nearly enough uh, to address, as you just said, the mother of all transitions. So when would that team have started putting together a transition? Well, so, and you'd said something really important there, which is that there are multiple teams that have to be focused on this. So you have the incumbent president that now by law ought to have been focusing on this easily a year pre-election. And that includes identifying people in each of the agencies to serve as a transition coordinator and begin the planning process. Um, but for the incoming president, they also needed a transition operation, and that operation really ought to have begun in earnest at the beginning of that year. So you're looking at you know eight, nine months of work really uh, to be ready for election day. And um, it is a huge undertaking. You think again, um, we all learn about the peaceful transfer of power as being one of the great qualities of our government, but no one tells you that it's peaceful but ugly. And you think about it, it's a $4 trillion organization, 4 million employees when you think about the military and the civilian employees, and hundreds of different operating entities. It is um, you know, just so large and so complicated and so consequential that you need to begin uh, aggressively with a good plan and very early. 
Okay, so you said by law. What are the official laws or rules for the transfer of power? So um, there are a bunch of new ones, which is a good thing because um, we had a system up until relatively recently that that essentially was Groundhog Day. And you would have incoming administrations go through a transition process, start from scratch, really at best have access to some people who had done it before, but really no um, consequential uh, resource of tools and prior history. And part of what we've done at the Partnership for Public Service is to help get Congress to pass some laws that provide better structure. So now it used to be historically that incoming transition teams would only get support for transition planning post the election. And uh, we were able to get a law passed that now provides support immediately after the conventions. And the reason why this is really important is that historically campaigns have understandably viewed job number one as winning. And anything that dis- distracted from that or might undermine that, they would ignore. And they saw transition as that. They saw it as a political vulnerability. If you started planning for a transition before the election, you could be accused of measuring the drapes or mm-hmm. celebrating early. And as a result, the transition planning was done subscale and generally behind the curtain. And um, the law that I just described now changes that. So they have um, political protection. They now have a congressional mandate to begin pre-election. And we saw the results of that for the first time on both sides with the work that uh, then-candidate Clinton and then-candidate Trump did in this past election, which was quite extensive and public uh, prior to the election. Uh, So that is part of the legal framework that has changed that is very important. On the flip side, there are now requirements for the incumbent administration to do uh, work prior to the election to prepare for a good handoff to the new president coming in. Mm -hmm. So there is new law that um, really does some important things. I don't think we're entirely done yet with what needs to change, but they're, they're, they're big improvements. So who comprises this transition team? Are they people who will go on to be members of the president-elect staff or you know, campaign staffers, that kind of thing? Well, it's, a, it's an excellent question. And the answer is you have different responsibilities when you are a campaign person versus doing the transition versus actually governing. And I think one of the real challenges we have in our system today is that there is this huge cohort of political appointments that are made by a new president that is unparalleled by any democracy. So a new president typically puts in about 4,000 political appointments. And of those, 1,200 plus require Senate confirmation, which is a very difficult obstacle course. What that means is that, in fact, new administrations often do staff government with a lot of people that were serving in the campaign and in the transition and not recognizing that the skills that you need, the capabilities you need, are usually very different. So what are those transition team members doing in these days between the election and inauguration? There are appointments to be made, people starting to prepare for new jobs. How do they do it? Yeah. Uh, The period between the election and inauguration becomes frenetic because you are taking over this phenomenally large organization. You put your finger on the, in my view, the most important element. You got to have highly qualified people ready to come into these positions. And they need to be working well as a team. That's something that is often overlooked. Um, So one big element is getting the right people in, having them work effectively together. Another is in preparing to actually implement the promises that the president-elect has made on the campaign trail. 
a smart transition operation is really thinking through how they convert those promises to actual action. There's you know, usually someone who's coordinating the, the relationship between Congress and certainly the party that, that they come from um, on the Hill. So, and that is an area where a lot of transitions underinvest. Uh, they need to really make sure that Congress is on board with the changes that they want to see happening and creating that front end understanding of shared vision and of how they're going to work well together is one of the most important investments that a transition team can make. When do the incoming staffers get security clearance? For the very top people, it can happen relatively quickly. But if you're thinking about, you know, general averages, there I was just in a meeting today where, you know, folks were complaining about the fact it can take 700 days to get clearances for some people. So, I mean, that's a very challenging process and a big problem. The law now permits um, campaigns to actually start the clearance process for key people, even pre-election. And so, uh, once more, smart transitions will have teed up a set of core people that they need cleared and ready for jobs, um, both in the White House and in the agencies. Because if you don't start that early, you won't have your team on the ground uh, when the when the game starts. So what I'm hearing, Max, there's a lot of handoff of, let's call it soft knowledge, you know, institutional knowledge about how jobs get done, how agencies work, projects that are in progress. But have there been examples of, you know, real antipathy in those kind of handoffs of current people in power in the White House or other agencies not necessarily handing off in a graceful way. So you will always find examples where someone didn't do it real well. And there are uh, anecdotes about, you know, the handoff to, you know, the Bush uh, team uh, from President Clinton's team, uh, where there were allegations that, you know, W's were removed from keyboards and things like that. I will say that those are truly the exception. Um, almost everyone who serves in government understands that they are there in order to serve the people. And they are remarkably committed to the success of the new team coming in. The challenges is less antipathy than lack of understanding about how to make that handoff really effective. And more often than not, it's the team coming in that fails to take advantage of the opportunity to soak up the knowledge from the people leaving. How about the, the, the current administration, the one that's holding power? What are they actually required to share with the incoming administration? The incumbent president is required to organize, even if they're just uh, in their first term, uh, to organize as if a transition might happen. And that means on an annual basis, they actually need to bring together representatives, the, the lead transition a person for every agency, uh, and they need to have somebody who has who has uh, got that responsibility uh, to talk about how they they will prepare for the transition, and they are by law required to provide information to uh, the incoming the potentially incoming successor. Uh, so um, you know, at the end of the day, the law is important, but how it is followed is is even more so, and. You know, I will say that in in sort of modern transition planning, President Bush did a phenomenal job handing off 
the responsibility to President Obama and his team. And I think President Obama did a phenomenal job of preparing and, and, and being ready to hand off to President Trump. And I hope that that becomes, you know, the expectation for, you know, the, the President Trump's team and everyone that comes thereafter. Uh, and I think, you know, there's, as I say, a broad sense, the, even the, the you know, political appointees, that, that, that they have a responsibility to the country uh, and that our government is a core asset for the public and not for any party. So nobody glued the drawers shut or anything like that. You know, and, and look, with enough people, you'll find somebody who didn't do it right. Um, but the more important thing is, what are the norms? And are those norms being followed? And I think we're setting new norms, and they are in the large measure being followed. We are still at a pretty nascent stage, I would describe, around transition planning and making it an effective operation. We're trying to create a learning system, and that, that's vital because it's such a big job. Well, you're talking about a lot of the practical steps, a lot of the operational steps. But we do hear about these meetings between the incumbents and the president-elect. And about letters, you know, George Bush's, George H.W. Bush's letter to President Clinton circulated widely. I guess it was when the transition was going on for the Trump administration. Letters from the sitting president left for the incoming one. What, besides the practical, does the incumbent president try to share with the president-elect? That's a very personal, I think, uh, question. You know, we all see the pictures of the president as they arrive and they leave, and and you quite clearly see that it's truly dog years that they've lived, and they got the gray hair and the lines, and I mean, the responsibility is phenomenal. Um, you know, no one, you know, really comes to the job having done it before, and I think that in many ways, um, I think that the most important thing that can be offered is less one-time advice than, uh, than, than a relationship that would enable you know, the new person coming in to come back to the incumbent. And I think that's true for the president. It's true for secretaries of agencies. It's true for assistant secretaries of agencies. There ought to be, a you know, again, an understanding that there'll be different policy priorities. We have a democratic process to help you know, identify what the public wants to see as their vision for us going forward. But in these jobs are so challenging and hard, and the opportunity uh, for good and for ill are so large that you really want to make sure there is a community and there's a sense of responsibility for the incumbent to be there for the, the, the new person, and that the new person knows they can rely on that incumbent uh, for advice. I mean, that to me would be the most helpful thing that could be communicated. And the new person has to take advantage of it because I think, by and large, the willingness to be there as a resource is almost inevitably there. This may be a weird question, but I always wondered, does the first family sleep at the White House the night before their inauguration, or is it night of? Uh, yeah, not, not, not the uh, night before. I mean, it really is an amazingly, uh, you know, sort of quick transfer. You've got... Uh, you know, 12 o'clock, 1201, uh, you know, the day of the inauguration, you've got a new president. And that's true in terms of ownership of the White House. And there's a unbelievable operation to move the old president out, the new president in to do new paint and the work that's done by the 
you know, career people who are who are managing this process is really stellar. And that happens in every agency across the entire government as well. You've got a new secretary coming in, hopefully confirmed uh, in an ideal world and the world we should live in. You've got more than the secretary, but, you know, a deputy secretary and the key leadership team also ready to walk in on day one. It's actually a flip of a switch. It's, it's not a slow, uh, you know, you can move in over the next few weeks. It's, you know, right away. On the White House side, the team is unbelievable. And, and the other unusual aspect of the White House is that everyone turns over. So in the, in the agencies themselves, the career workforce will inevitably be way larger and, and ought to be way larger than the political team. And in fact, the political team should understand that they can't get their job done without working collaboratively and effectively with the career folks. In the White House, it's a different proposition. You don't have uh, pretty much uh, anyone around that can tell you how it was done before or how to operate things. Um, it's it's you're, you're starting, you're bringing your whole team with you. Max Dyer, president and CEO of the Partnership for Public Service, a nonprofit whose Center for Presidential Transition helps candidates and their transition teams navigate the process of becoming president. Max, thank you so much for speaking with us. Hey, thank you, and congratulations on your contribution to civic education. Thank you so much. That is it for Civics 101 today. But before we go, we're doing a handoff of our own. Yeah, as Virginia mentioned at the top of the show, this is her last episode of Civics 101. She's moving on to Georgia Public Broadcasting, where she'll be the host of the daily news show On Second Thought. I'm Hannah McCarthy. And I'm Nick Capodice. From here on out, Nick and I will be co-hosting the podcast. Both of you guys are theater. You have theater background. Yeah, we do. You, right? We, we do, do indeed. We're so gonna, you're going to do a little song and dance thing? We're going to do a uh, Civics 101 Christmas Carol. For sure. Yes, absolutely. So you did the transitions episode. You recorded the in- transitions interview. Mm-hmm. What did they say is usually done? I wasn't there. You were there, Hannah. Mm-hmm. Right? What's usually done when one transitions to the other? There's a lot of preparation because I think he made a really great point. This is Max Steyer. He said, nobody's done this before. Nobody has been president before they're president. Unless, of course, you were elected and then you lost right. an election and then you... Won an election. Has that ever happened? Yeah, actually, I think that is happening. Who was it? We should know this. It's pretty embarrassing. Well, actually, we shouldn't know this. That's the wonderful thing about this show, that we are (laughs) not civic scholars. What do you guys want to know? Anything else? Is there any part of the transition that we haven't done yet? I haven't written you a letter on White House stationery. No letter on White House stationery? I don't have White House stationery, unfortunately. (laughs) On NHPR stationery? Producers really dropped the ball on that one. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Well, if there's anything you can tell us that you would put in that letter, you can just tell us. I would just say that as a friend of mine, Jason Schinder, who's a poet who's now passed away, said, humility will find you. (laughs) So no matter what you do, be humble because you're going to make mistakes, but that's okay. You know, that's what makes you sound like a human being. Some of the best advice I've ever got. Yeah. This episode of Civics 101 was produced by me, Hannah McCarthy, and Nick Capodice. Our executive producer is Erica Janik, and our staff includes Taylor Quimby, Justine Paradise, Jimmy Gutierrez, and Ben Henry. Our music is by Broke for Free. And if you've got questions about the government, and we know you do, you know who to call. Uh, Hannah and I are on top of it. You can email us at civics101 at nhpr.org. Civics 101 is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean 
every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Hey there, everyone. Hey, folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in D.C. for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, we are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch. That is the largest employer in the world. And a lot of those people work in the civil service, where, after the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job. But if you run a business, and you're not the federal government, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute, and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash civics. Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Cheers to a great day and this ice cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. Oh, we can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salute to the perfect day. Corona. La vida mas fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Buying a master mechanics tool set usually means high prices, higher interest rates, and who knows how many years of monthly payments. But at GearWrench, we don't believe that your tools should take years and years to pay for. So check out Mega Mod Master Sets, the master mechanics tool sets that deliver pro-quality tools, organized storage solutions, an easy-to-use lifetime warranty, and much, much more. All for thousands less than you'd expect. So don't wait. Explore the sets and check availability now. Only at GearWrench.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.